Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Alicia was recorded on February 17th, 2022. Hi, my name is Alicia and I am an adult child. I'd like to thank the fellowship for inviting me to speak and um, thank you to my fellow travelers from the Sunlight and New Hope Fellowships who are here tonight. When I agreed to be uh, a guest speaker at this meeting, I didn't know that it would be such a huge step in my journey to find clarity. I was going to shoot from the hip and just let my higher power guide what I was going to say tonight, but I wanted to make sure that my words were chosen carefully and truthfully. I'll sometimes fall into old behaviors and either embellish the truth or straight out lie about who I really am because I want validation and I don't want to be abandoned. So. I want my story to come from an authentic place. I think it's the way to honor my fellow travelers as well as myself. I've always told parts of my story. So when I sat down to map out what I wanted to say for this meeting, the words just began to spill out much the same way they do when I journal. And whenever I'm writing, I let my higher power guide my hands. So my thoughts appear on the page so that I can read them over and over again reminding me of who I was and who I want to be. So I'm going to read the words I wrote as if reading from my journal. I came to ACA at the suggestion of my therapist, whom I trust implicitly. I was very skeptical at first. My inner critical parent was telling me I didn't need a support group. Strong people figured their shit out on their own. And I thought I was strong. And then I read the laundry list. The laundry list is the reason I kept coming back and continue to come back to meetings. I identify with too many traits, so there had to be something about this program that could at least help. I told myself I didn't have to drink the Kool-Aid. I could be a cafeteria member and take what I want and leave the rest. And I'm still doing that to some extent. Although I realize I'm taking more and more every day. I learn something new about myself at every meeting I go to. Every time I hear the laundry list treats being read, Tony A's 12 steps being read, and the solution being read, I am brought back to a center and a clarity I didn't think was possible. Before ACA, I've spent my life trying to prove to myself that I could be perfect. And in doing so, show my family and the world and probably God that I am perfect. Not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Lead by example. This is how life is supposed to be lived, according to my inner critical parent. A critical parent born of dysfunction. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that until I found ACA. And I say I found ACA because despite my therapist suggesting I go to a meeting, I'm the one who actually found it. I went to the meetings and I keep coming back to the meetings. I'm the one doing the work. I've relied on other people for so long, letting them make bite choices for me 
or I, or I would make a choice because I thought that's what someone else wanted. It's important and empowering for me to understand that I can face my fears and make my choices myself, but not alone. I say my intercortical parent was born of dysfunction. My mother and my father both had alcoholic parents, but more than alcoholism was dysfunction. Seeds of dysfunction that would grow to mold my own inner critical parent. My mother told me her parents were children of immigrants fleeing the effects of World War I from Switzerland. She remembers her parents used to get into fistfights or drunken brawls. My mother is the youngest of six and lived a hard and difficult life on a hay farm. One sibling was hit by a car and died when my mother was young. All seeds of dysfunction. My father's mother is a child of an immigrant who fled Mexico, escaping the destruction of Pancho Villa. My father's mother got pregnant by a white man, and so marriage was a duty, an obligation that could only lead to resentment. They divorced when my father was young, forcing his mother to work long hours in a potato chip factory. He rarely saw his alcoholic father, if ever. My father was an only child whose best friends were the television and his dog. He was a natural athlete and went to college because of it. So athletic performance became a way to garner the attention he so lacked as a child. All seeds of dysfunction. Seeds I was given so I could, could continue to do what has always been done. What I learned in my childhood was based on Catholic private schools, scholastic aptitude, athletic ability, financial worth, physical beauty, basically what I saw on TV. To me, that meant the morals of a saint, the intelligence of a doctor or lawyer, the ability to perform athletically at a collegiate level, if not professional level, to have a job that paid enough to live more than comfortably and to look like I just walked off the cover of a magazine. I mentally punished myself whenever I felt I was li wasn't living up to these standards. These standards are uh, my own perceived standards. I can't, I can't tell you exactly where I got the idea for these unrealistic standards, but it was what I thought my parents expected, what society expected, what men expected. I never thought to ask myself what I expected. I was so busy trying to show my family and the world that I could meet those standards. To please them, to garner their attention, to validate me, to earn their love. And whenever I let my true self be seen, it was met with shame on you. You're going to hell. You're too sensitive. You're not working hard enough. I didn't want to be abandoned, so I took the shame. I feared hell. I tried to develop a thick skin, and I worked harder. I was trying to survive. I was just a kid. I needed my parents' love and validation, and I felt like I couldn't get it unless I performed at the level of my perceived expectations. 
my parents love each other and still do after 56 years. I think they hold on to each other tightly to unknowingly save themselves from generations of dysfunction. And they were looking for any way not to perpetuate it. They didn't have ACA. They found what they were looking for in the Catholic church. I grew up in and still have an affectionate and loving family. I'm the third of four children. And I feel I am the only one willing to look back to try to understand why I am the way I am. Finding my true self and continuing to do so is a painful process. Living as my true self, I believe, will bring me clarity and peace of heart and mind. And for me, that makes the pain worth enduring. Life, living life isn't the exhaustive task it used to be. Making choices has become something I'm less afraid of. And I think I understand how to allow myself to talk, to trust, and to feel. I got married at age 32. I married my friend, Sam. He's my best friend, as it turns out. When I first met him, I had just ended a long-term relationship and he was newly divorced. So neither one of us was looking for commitment. We were together for 10 years before we decided to get married. During that 10 years, we put each other through college. We lived near Los Angeles and were there for each other when Rodney King was nearly beaten to death. We were there for each other when a 6.7 magnitude earthquake wreaked havoc on us and the people of Southern California. And we were there for each other when the unthinkable happened on 9-11. My friends and my sisters all got married and started their families. Sam and I traveled and went to places I'd only dreamt of as a kid. I thought I was happy. I was connected with someone in a way I had not experienced before. So I took the next logical step. I married him and vowed to be and live differently than how I was brought up. So I started to check the boxes of my things to do to be perfect list. So establish a long-term relationship, check. Went to college and graduated from a prestigious school, check. Got a good job, good paying job, check. Got in the best physical shape of my life, check. Got married at a destination wedding, check. Bought a house, check. So after I did all that, I naturally, logically, tried to start a family. It took more than two years, a miscarriage, and coming within a hair's width of IBF before I got pregnant with our daughter. I was 35. It was considered a high-risk pregnancy, so my things to do to be perfect list now included how to be perfectly pregnant, how to be the perfect parent. I told myself I wouldn't fall into the same dysfunctional behaviors my parents or my sisters and brother did. Those dysfunctional behaviors just perpetuate the cycle I was trying to escape. Those dysfunctional behaviors plant the same old seeds of dysfunction. And I wanted to break the cycle. 
and I thought I knew how to do it. Two years after the birth of my daughter came my identical twin boys. My ability to keep things perfect began to crumble and I plummeted to the bottom of my people to take care of list. I'm pretty sure I had postpartum depression after the birth of my daughter. I just didn't want to look at it. The birth of my twins really brought out the tentacles of my depression. I started to spiral. I drank to numb my feelings of failure as a daughter, a sister, a friend, a wife, a mother, a woman. I feared facing the reality that I'm not perfect. This veil of defeat began to cloud my vision, my thoughts, my ability to love. Then my physical symptoms began to appear. I developed chronic fatigue, chronic migraines, and a condition called occipital neuralgia. Constant sharp pain in the back of my head that would spike and ebb with no discernible trigger. I thought I had a brain tumor or something. When I went to see the neurologist who told me I didn't have a brain tumor, I was relieved to hear that. But then I thought, <laughs> so then what the hell is it? So began my four year quest to figure out why I was in so much pain. Countless appointments, endless searches for the right doctor or the right treatment. Everything from acupuncture to a surgically, implant, surgically placed implant in my hip that sends electrical impulses to the nerves in my head to interrupt the pain signal. Nothing could relieve this pain. I had to stop working. I couldn't be the attentive mom I wanted to be. I was always in bed. My husband told me to get some mental help, but I didn't. It put tremendous strain on my marriage. And I was desperate. So I did what I thought was the last resort. And I had surgery to cut the nerves in the back of my head that was causing my pain. So the back of my head is now permanently numb. But it didn't work as well as I had hoped. I was still experiencing pain and I still do. During all this, my mother came to stay with us, to stay with us to help with the kids. I hired a nanny to manage the daily tasks I was no longer capable of doing. As my daughter got older, she began to have trouble with her mental health. She became destructive and resentful. She did drugs and self-harmed. She was put on psychiatric holds and swallowed a bottle of pills in and out of mental health facilities. One day we were arguing about something and she said to me, how can you take care of me when you can't even take care of yourself? I had no response. I think she was like 12 and she was right. So I found a therapist a therapist that listened and asked questions that made me look inward and at myself. 
I recently shared with a fellow traveler the moment I felt I was not worthy of this life. This happened two or three years before my daughter called me out on the fact I was neglecting myself and before I started seeing my therapist and joined ACA. It was nighttime and I was sitting in the dark on the edge of my bed. My kids were asleep in their rooms and my husband was downstairs. I could hear the TV and tears were falling down my face. I felt utterly depleted. I felt like I was staring into an abyss. And I began to plan how to leave this life. Pills, cut my wrists, drive my car off a cliff. I told myself the kids would be all right. They'll have their dad and their grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. And then I asked myself, would the kids really be all right? I can't do that to them. It's not what a perfect parent would do. So the way I see it, my inner critical parent, in a way, helped save my life. My daughter's words were the impetus that began my path to recovery, but my critical parent saw another checklist. Something else to be perfect at, recovery. I realized the other day that I'm still staring into that abyss, that, that I'm actually in the abyss. And my work in ACA has shown me glimpses of the light outside of my abyss, like, like a lighthouse in a storm. I still have a long way to go until I reach harbor. I don't really remember my first meeting I do remember how gentle the service members were and how open and vulnerable the shares were. I doubted the program would work for me, but I knew I needed to change. I needed to help my daughter and I can't do that until I start helping myself. So I bought all the books, looked up all the meetings I would attend and thought, okay, let's do these steps and I can get back to my life. I thought I could attend the meetings and listen, but then do the work on my own. I have my trusted therapist, so I don't need a sponsor. Later, I realized I didn't want a sponsor because I thought I would always be trying to please them by saying the right answers, and I thought it would compromise the honesty I needed. So great. I was attending meetings, reading the Big Red Book, working the workbooks, and then I got discouraged. I wasn't feeling what I was expecting to be feeling after working the program for eight weeks. <laughs> I got frustrated and disenchanted and I stopped going to meetings. I pulled back from the work for about three weeks and my ther therapist encouraged me to try again. So I reminded myself how many of the laundry list traits I identified with and started to attend meetings again. Only once a week, I also put the books down. And the most important thing I did was to be truly honest with myself. And to me, that meant listening to my body. When I feel I am lying to myself, I stop and listen to my body, my heart rate, my breathing, my stomach. 
kind of like my mother's intuition, spider sense. When my kids were little and I thought they were sick or something just wasn't right, my spider sense would tingle, my mother's intuition. I'm learning to develop um, spider sense for myself, turning that intuition inward. My work in ACA has taught me that. It's also taught me how to listen, not just to myself, but to my inner children, my actual children, my fellow travelers, everyone. I came to understand the importance of just being present. Words aren't always necessary. It gave me new meaning to the phrase, silence is golden. I also learned a little about what self-care means to me. I used to think it meant getting a massage or a pedicure or something. And it still kind of does for me. But it also means allowing myself to feel, to express emotion, to honor my children and pay attention to them. Let them cry, let them scream, let them be angry, let them laugh and to be present when they do all those things. My self-care is giving myself hugs, gently rocking myself to ease any discomfort. The way I would do for any child that's scared or sad. I think I'm beginning to understand my journey. I don't always understand everything I encounter on my journey, but... I have the tools to know how to be okay with that. I trust my higher power, my true self, will reveal the meaning of what I don't understand when my higher power knows I'm ready. I'm also always pleasantly surprised when one of the promises comes true for me. I sometimes don't notice it at first, but eventually I do notice. And I think I understand how I can live in the solution. I'm still a rookie at being a loving parent to my inner children, but I know I must be doing something right because my inner children keep revealing themselves to me. My higher power and I have developed a strong trust enough to welcome all my inner children when they wish to reveal themselves. I understand this journey doesn't end when the steps are completed. The steps are the tools I use when I encounter the scary or the unknown on my path, I don't know how many times I've worked the steps. I don't work them in order. I trust my higher power will let me know what step I'm working on and how it's different from the last time I worked that step. I honestly feel that my cathartic moments would not be as significant and powerful if I hadn't recognized that my inner critical parent was so dominant, I wouldn't know the profoundness of the clarity and peace I am finding if I did not know and understand the dominance of my inner critical parent. My critical parent saved my life after all, so I don't try to deny or shut down my critical parent. I try to know and understand my critical parent. Those old behaviors are going to come up when I find myself in a situation that my true self has not yet encountered. 
I feel it in my chest and my stomach when those old behaviors return. Tightness, upset, my heart rate increases, my breathing quickens. And for me to feel, recognize, and understand how my body is reacting is what makes the difference between those old behaviors before my work in ACA and those behaviors after my work in ACA. So then shame starts to creep in, a branch of dysfunction, maybe even a thorn for me since shame was so prevalent in the makeup of my false self. My inner children begin to look scared of the thorns and what is beginning to grow at their feet. But now I have and recognize something I've never had before, my loving parent. She's new and still learning, but she's there. She's there to hold them and comfort them and teach them what is happening calmly, lovingly, gently. Show them and teach them about what's growing and what damage the thorns can do. And we discover together how to manage what has grown from the seeds of my dysfunction. We need to work slowly and deliberately lest we get poked by those thorns of shame. My inner children and I tell our critical parent, thank you, but she is no longer needed. That we know she is just trying to help. We can take it from here. She's worked long and hard enough and it's time to rest now. So she sits back in a rocking chair, sipping lemonade, watching us clear away the growth of dysfunction. Just as I cannot know and understand light without dark, my critical parent is a part of me and I cannot understand the clarity and peace that I will have that will resonate with me until I accept that part of who I am. I'm newly separated from my husband. We'd been together more than 23 years. It was a mutual decision. We actually communicate better now than we had when we were together. And if there is such a thing as a perfect separation of marriage process, guaranteed I am doing it. It's a difficult time for me and my family. The children spend equal time with us. Sam, one week with Sam, one week with me. We live about three miles apart, so we're figuring it out. I try to be a loving parent to my children as well as to myself. I believe I would not be surviving this separation if not for my work in ACA. Being separated and having moved out of the home I shared with Sam has given me the space I didn't know I needed in order to look inward more deeply than I have been. Moving out left me no choice but to feel alone. I had to face what I had feared all my life. I allowed myself to feel abandonment, to feel sadness, to feel grief. No one was around to judge me or blame me for it. 
I didn't have to worry that one of the children would walk in on me and see me in such a hopeless state. I felt like I was crying all the tears I'd been holding in my whole life. Like I was facing all the things I'd been trying to deny my whole life. Who am I without someone around to validate me? To love me? What do I do now? I'm learning to validate myself to love and accept who I truly am. These meetings and the ability of my fellow travelers to hold space for me continues to give me the courage to carry on with my journey and to keep trying to find peace, clarity, and my true self. Thank you, I pass.